Hey everybody, welcome to the Church at South Point podcast. We're so glad that you found your way to our little corner of the online universe. This Advent, we are availing ourselves of a beautiful worship resource called Sanctified Art. The theme of the resource is a question, how does a weary world rejoice? In each week of our series, we respond to this question with a statement inspired by the weekly text. And these texts bring us into a space of possibility. As we move through our series, we hope to create space for acknowledging the weariness of our world while making space within us for joy. Joy is deeply relational. We belong to God, to this good earth, and to each other. I pray that your connection to us today through this podcast would be a source of hope and peace and love and joy for you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Come, I invite you into this place today. Enter in, bring whatever you carry inside you today as we move deeper into this season of Advent. This season we are making room for weariness, but we are also making room for joy and connectedness. I'd like to read the opening lines of Rumi's poem, The Guest House. And as you listen, you might want to notice what, um, what you are holding within you today. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Treat each guest honorably. They may be clearing you out for some new delight. What or who is arriving with you today? Weariness, delight, longing, Loneliness, fear, curiosity, joy. Greet each guest, making room to be with them, noticing what they might want to say. They all belong, and you belong here too, at this guest house we call South Point. God welcomes us all. Wow, look at all of you here today. I'm really excited. I love coming early on a Sunday um, when it's really quiet and nobody's here, except Christian always beats me to it somehow. And just puttering around, turning on lights, doing what I do and imagining who will come. So I look out, I'm like, look at you all. So glad you're here. We are in the second week of Advent and the theme of uh, today is we find joy through connection. Our overarching theme is how does a weary world rejoice? We rejoice by connecting. And I think one of the joys of um, Sunday morning is that 
we worship and it's not a solo activity. We gather together, we sing together, we read together, we ponder together, we pray together. And in this togetherness, we have a glimpse of God and we have a little glimpse of joy. So I invite you to turn to somebody near you and um, just welcome them by saying these words. So you can just repeat after me, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Surely God is with us. And then the most important one, you got to look at each other, okay? I see God in your face. Thank you. Thank you. My two children, Adam and Joe, um, were born into our family when we lived in England. How many of you have seen Call the Midwife? A few Calloway My fans? Okay. Well, it's still kind of like that, at least in Bristol where we lived. Um, there's a midwife clinic in each community with a team of midwives that care for the neighborhood. And you go there for your checkups and you go there for prenatal classes um, with the other people in your neighborhood who are at the same stage. And then um, you stay with those same people for postnatal classes. And through that experience, um, the stories and lives of these people would be woven together. Our stories of births, stories of miscarriages, stories of sickness and sleepless nights, stories of first outings and first words. We shared our sorrow, we shared our joy within this neighborhood web of connection. Now, of course, that was the ideal. <laughs> And the reality was doesn't quite that simple because if you didn't fit the, you know, tickety-boo, happy family pattern, you know, if you were single or you had a colicky baby or a complicated birth or a miscarriage or was struggling with breastfeeding, it was a little harder to show up. But even so, that model of connection and support in a geographic community, I think feels so much healthier than the isolation that so many parents grapple with here. Luke, when he designed the beginning chapters of his gospel, is weaving together two birth stories of two couples. And you can find it in the first two chapters of Luke. Today, we're going to look at Luke 1, 24 to 45. And instead of reading that passage, I'm going to just weave it into the story I'm telling you. So these two birth stories that are intertwined were Elizabeth and Zechariah an older couple who hadn't conceived a child, and Mary and Joseph. And Luke is the only gospel that spends the time and the energy and the manuscript space to show the connection between them in this intimate way. And I, I love this. I love how Luke elevates connection. So in Luke, we get to see Jesus born into an extended family with this aunt and uncle who delighted in his existence and adored him even before he was born. So when I think of, oh, come, let us adore him, I, that becomes a lot fresher if I imagine Elizabeth and Zachariah saying it to each other. Now, in this gospel sequence, Elizabeth um, becomes pregnant first, but instead of reaching out to her friends and neighbors for support, instead of leaning into community and connection, she chooses to sequester herself in solitude. So verse 24 
says, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And in the Women's Lectionary, Dr. Will Gaffney translates Luke 1.24 as, and she hid herself for five months. She hid herself. Dr. Gaffney argues that the language for Elizabeth's seclusion is strong and the translation should depict that. She hid herself. Why did she hide? Why do you think she hid herself? Was she worried that something would happen? The baby wouldn't live? She was really an old woman. Was she protecting herself from the scrutiny of her neighbors? Was she having a difficulty being pregnant? Or was she just going inward to prepare for this birth? Or perhaps she had just grown used to being hidden. Perhaps she felt safer being disconnected from the women in her neighborhood or the gossip of the market or the social ranking in her synagogue. In ancient Middle Eastern culture, women had very little status, and a woman who was unable to conceive and bear a child was relegated to an even lower status. Children were considered a blessing from God. So here she was, a priest's wife without a child. Did that mean that God had withdrawn his blessing? What did it say about Zechariah's suitability as a priest? Certainly it called Elizabeth's relationship with God into question. Perhaps hiding was her way of protecting herself for a long time. But within her hiding place, alone with God, something was beginning to shift in her self-understanding. And we see that in verse 25 when it says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown me favor and taken away my disgrace. So God is with her in that solitude, connecting, lifting the disgrace. But still, what were the neighbors saying? Was there disfavor waiting right outside the door? It was easier to stay hidden. Now, five months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, an angel comes to Mary. So Luke tells us, actually, I think it was six months. But in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, it says in verse 26, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And to make a familiar story short, we'll skip ahead. The angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then the angel left her. And in verse 39, we find out that Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. That's verse 39. Okay. Now, Mary lived in Nazareth. And Elizabeth lived in this hill country around Judea, most likely in a little town called Ein Karim, 140 kilometers away. So that's not just like a little run over to your aunt's house to share good news. That's a, that's a trek, right? Did she travel alone? What excuse did she tell her family for leaving? What did she think about while she was walking? Was she, like Elizabeth, trying to disappear for a while to hide from her neighbors, to hide the shame of being with child without being married? 
was she wanting to see if Elizabeth really was pregnant? You know, if the angel really was telling the truth. How surprised Elizabeth must have been when Mary appeared and knocked on the door. Auntie Elizabeth, can I come in? I've come to visit you. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to pause here. I want to elevate this little snippet of the passage today. I let land here and contemplate the implications for us for a moment. The baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the spirit. So in this moment of connection between these two women, this deeply embodied energetic exchange passes between them. Something, some force moved woman to woman, child to child. That something was so palpable that John, the baby leapt within Elizabeth. It was immediate. It was embodied response to the presence of Jesus and Mary. And Elizabeth trusted her bodily wisdom. Her body was telling her who this was. And both women received the wisdom of Elizabeth's deep knowing. So they're standing together on that threshold of Elizabeth's house, feeling that energetic flow of connection. And they felt this joy over what God was doing in them and between them. Have you ever felt a kind of intuitive, instinctive, bodily wisdom, a reaction, and your body just kind of leapt into action, following a wisdom of its own. I would love to sit with you and hear your stories. And if you have some, let me know. I have a story. Tuesday was a very long day for me, but about 1030 at night, it was finally coming to a close, turned off my computer, and I looked around and where's Finn, my dog? No response. I realized I had let him out about 15 minutes ago when he was barking. We have a fence, but he hadn't barked to come back in. I went out, the fence was open. (laughs) Oh no, I groaned. So I put on my shoes and my coat and I go to the compost. That's his favorite watering hole. No Finn. So I walked all the way around the farm in the dark and the rain, no Finn. I texted Adam, Finn's gone. He texted back, I'm coming. So Adam and his friend Daria came and joined the search, which was now about 11 at night. And we walked and drove through the neighborhoods and walked through the woods. It's now 1.30 at night, no Finn. Finally, desolate, I fell asleep. The story ends well. In the morning, I was contacted by Finn's deliverer. She was an avid dog lover from Langley with two dogs of her own. And on Tuesday night at about 11 o'clock, she was dropping her daughter's friend off in the nearby neighborhood when her daughter spotted a black dog standing in the middle of the black, dark night. And concerned for the dog, she stopped the car and the daughter got out of the car to check on him. And immediately Finn leapt into the front seat of the car. Now, Finn does not leap into the car at the first chance of an open door. I usually have to bring a treat to entice him. I don't know if that's how it's always was. The daughter coaxed Finn out and they walked through the street, hoping that Finn would lead her home and that didn't work. So not knowing what to do, the daughter opened the door another time to talk to her mom and Finn immediately jumped in again. 
as if he says that she was a safe place for his lost doggy self. When I picked up Finn from the woman, we had this immediate bond. No wonder Finn had chosen her. She was wonderful. We laughed at the story of Finn choosing her as a rescuer. We shared mutual gratitude that he was safe. She told me Finn slept at the end of his, her daughter's bed and that he was a good dog. And if I ever needed a babysitter to let her know, I'm like, do you really? He must have been really afraid. Do you know my dog? We hugged goodbye. It was a fleeting moment of connection. Two strangers recognizing in each other's hearts this common love for dogs, but it, it warmed my heart. And I drove away with that warmth inside of me. Ah, like there's good people in the world. In Atlas of the Heart, um, Brene Brown defines joy as an intense feeling of deep spiritual connection, pleasure, and appreciation. She says joy is characterized by connection with others or with God or with nature or the universe. So the meaning is clear, right? Connection and joy are intertwined. Now, joy has always felt a bit like an abstraction to me. I have a little bit of a melancholic problem and, um, Joy is like this state of being that I want to achieve. And I have a lot of oughts and shoulds around joy. And I've got some good theological nuggets about joy in my back pocket. But I've struggled to kind of understand this joy word that we talk about a lot, particularly at Christmas. And you know that kid's song? I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And I'm going, where? <laughs> down in my heart, where? Right? So the joy of the Lord is my strength. What? Something about my understanding of joy shifted and clarified this week as I sat with Mary and Elizabeth and the sanctified art theme, finding joy in connection. So the sanctified art material I noticed said joy is meant to be shared, but I wonder if it goes deeper than that. In this story of Mary and Elizabeth, joy seemed to be an energy that flowed between them. So maybe joy is the energetic flow within the connection, like the electrical current that connects two filaments in a light bulb or the electrical impulse that leaps across the synapses in our brain. Maybe joy is an energy created within connection that creates more connection. Maybe joy is the energy we experience as we connect open-heartedly and lovingly to people, places, and things around us. Maybe. So I thought this was on Monday. I thought I'm going to do a little participant observation and I'm going to experiment with my own life. And I'm going to pay attention to the tiny, seemingly insignificant fleeting connections that happen in my day. What would happen if I elevated their importance and drew my awareness to them? What would I find? Would I notice little things leaping up inside of me? Would I notice little sparks of this thing that people call joy. And so I begin to pay attention and notice the little moments of connection that I normally wouldn't have thought about. There was the woman in the frame shop who helped me design the frame for Joy's artwork. And the way I felt a little brighter when I walked out of the store as we oohed and awed over the image. And then I drove to Vancouver and visited Joy in her studio. She gave me a tour and we pondered the meaning of Advent and I felt full here. I went and saw Danelda at the hospital. I felt sad to see her so weak, but I felt this tenderness as I reached out and held her hand. I noticed a little spark of curiosity whenever my R WhatsApp group from South Point pinged 
and a tiny little delight in me in what people shared. And then there was that surprise visit from Adam and Daria and the warm energy of making breakfast sandwiches together the next morning. And then there was the vigil on Thursday. And the way my heart lit up with each person who arrived, so much so that I just had to hug them because it felt so good to have people to grieve with over what happened in Gaza. And then there was the feeling of Finn laying across my legs in the morning and the relief of sun on Friday. Didn't that feel good? And the way when my South Point little Instagram or WhatsApp group said, go out in the night and see what it feels like, it felt nice to be enfolded in the clear cold and I could breathe a little deeper. And then there was the phone call yesterday from a young Egyptian man calling to ask if I, as a pastor, would use my voice to amplify the concerns of Gaza. He told me about his friend who had lost 10 family members this week. He told me about his desperation and sorrow and wanted to do something, so he was calling all the pastors. I shared my sorrow with him and my heartfelt commitment to a ceasefire. He said our conversation brought him tears, and could he call me again? Even in our common sorrow, I felt it too, this joy in our connection. Anytime, call me anytime. And so on, and so on, and so on. All these little moments, these little eddies of connection that moved through me and moved in me, intertwined and entangled with my life. What if this is the entanglement of joy? I begin to sense that all these little entanglements of connection contained elements of sorrow too, many of them, flickered inside of me, whether I was aware of them or not, that they kept me warm without me knowing it, like the way a low flame on a burner keeps a pot of soup warm. The steady stream of gas feeds the flame, and in the same way, maybe, there's a steady stream of connections joining me you, us, to what is all around us all the time. And the energy of those connections, which is God's gift, flows into us. A beautiful tangle of connections with the earth and sky and soil and food and air and plants and animals and people and God and the Holy Spirit and the living Christ, all holding our life, all which is our life, warming our hearts in steady and small ways, so small and steady that we don't even notice it. Could that be joy? Later, over meals with friends and family, Elizabeth and Mary would have recounted that fleeting moment. How Elizabeth felt the baby kick and knew the baby was holy. Somewhere along the way, Luke must have heard the story and decided to include it in his gospel. He takes it out of the discard pile of women's experiences, those women embodiment stories, and gives it a place of honor right at the beginning of the narrative. I would like to give you a moment. Think about your week. Is there a moment of fleeting connection that had a little exchange of energy that you might describe as joy? What story would you like to elevate this week? What story would you share? To me, Luke's inclusion of this story is itself 
a little miracle of connection. The moment between Mary and Elizabeth, it was fleeting, right? It was private. It was a tiny moment. It passed by quickly. It was the breadth of a baby's kick. It could have been so easily written off. And yet Luke chose to include and magnify the voices and experience of Mary and Elizabeth. And because he did, we're here connecting to their stories. And so I want to invite you, can you just pause and take a moment and turn into little groups of twos and threes and name, if you have the energy, just some small interaction that happened in your week. Can you elevate it from the discard pile and pull it up and just say, hey, I had a nice checkout clerk and I didn't feel so invisible. Can you, can you, do, can you do that? Okay, I'll give you five minutes and then we'll come back. Okay, just form yourself. So you, two, let's do groups of three or four because sometimes groups of two are a little intense. I'm seeing a lot of smiles. So here, here's my question for you. What, what are you feeling after that exchange? Like what happened inside of you? Can you throw out some more? You feel, do you feel more enlivened? Do you feel warmer? Do you feel more connected? Do you feel like I looked around right before I asked you to break up and I'm like, I'm seeing some yawns here. You know? and I'm seeing some glazed over eyes and I'm not, I'm not seeing that now. So notice that, that something, something passed between you in your sharing. Something, maybe that's something joy. There's one more thing I just want to point out in this passage because I loved it. Um, so here, here we go. Um, when Elizabeth, verse 41, um, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the spirit and then filled with the spirit. She speaks out loud these words, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Okay, so what we're seeing here, I think, is Luke in action. Again, turning the kingdom of the worlds upside down. I'll show you what I mean. So a writer of history has to prior, prioritize, right? One story over another. This one gets included. This one gets excluded. And we watch that. We watch which stories are magnified and whose voices are excluded and marginalized. That's, that's part of the study of history. And Luke says in this gospel that he wants to be historically accurate. He wants to write like a historian, even though he's a doctor. Um, he tells us that. And in this account, which he, he wants to be, historical, not only does Luke add this story, this little tiny snippet of a story at the beginning of the gospel, he honors Elizabeth as a prophet, he describes her as speaking with the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. By doing this, he's recognizing her as a prophet, one who with the spirit speaks for God. And this prophetess Elizabeth in Luke's gospel is the first person in the gospel to recognize the identity of the baby inside Mary as Lord. Mary's arrival 
changes things for Elizabeth, pulls her out of seclusion, helps her trust what's going on in her own body and helps her recognize what's going on in Elizabeth's. And that joyous energy gave them the confidence and the strength to do this hard and scary thing they were being asked to do, which was bear children into the world, a world who might not get what's, who these children are. And notice what happens to both these women. These women, they are not disgraced. They are not outside the circle of God's blessing, and they don't need to hide in shame anymore. They were prophets. They were Christ bearers. They were carrying in their bodies and in their mouths the word of God, and therefore they will do this thing that the angel asked them to do. And so I just want to like, thank you, Luke, for putting this in there. You know how sometimes you're at like a dinner party and you have to name, well, who, if you could like go out with a famous person for dinner, who would you go? I would like, after this week, I'd be like, I want to have dinner with Luke. Anyway, I'm really grateful for this passage. I think it in summary teaches us about the nature of who Jesus is. His Lordship teaches us about the nature of how we know things. We see this older woman embodied wise way of knowing our bodies speak to us teaches us something about joy, that joy is this connection that flows between us. Teaches us something about support. We don't have to stay in hiding. We don't have to do the hard thing by ourselves. We can lean into connection and that connection also can be intergenerational. And it teaches us to amplify the voices of those on the margins. And it teaches us that women, because we still need reminders of this in the church, have the right and the authority by the power of the spirit to carry and preach the word of God. When the angel said to Mary, and Mary said, how can this be? The angel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. And we see the truth of that played out right in the beginning of this gospel. An old disgraced woman becomes a prophet and a mother, and an unmarried woman becomes the mother of a Messiah, and a doctor becomes the writer of a text that still continues to elevate women to this day, and a baby becomes the Messiah who will reveal God's heart to the world. Nothing is impossible with God, and that's the theme of the gospel, and it carries through, through the gospel to the resurrection the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, nothing is impossible. And maybe knowing that, right, that we are connected to the possibility of that which is impossible can also be a source of joy for us this Advent. David, come on up. So in this time, we get to join each other in lifting our prayers um, and thinking about a weary world rejoicing the only way a weary world can rejoice, only way a weary person can rejoice is to be open and attending to what's going on inside of you, even if it's ringing. Yeah, it's all good, it's all good. I was thinking back about to a different, many years ago now, but it still continues to this day where I was very, very frustrated, angry, at circumstances that we were dealing with at home. And Colin turned to me and said, you have every right to be angry and upset. And also, if you stay stuck here, you're going to miss the good. You're gonna miss the fun. 
And so I think when it comes to God's heart in increasing our capacity to rejoice, it's a capacity to be with it all, to be with the sadness and the pain, to be with the joy when it arises, to risk the silliness of feeling foolish. All of these things increase our capacity. So as we reflect on what's going through this, this world, I'm going to broad, start very broad and we're just going to zoom in. I, want, I ask that you just attend to what's going on inside of you and allow the pain to be there and lift that up to God. Allow the joy to be there and let that rise too. All of those things belong. All of it belongs. Collectively, we hold this in attending to the pain. Our hearts full of all its feelings is made in the image of God himself. Let God teach us how to grow our capacity. And we think of this wide world that we rotate on in space. And the things in the areas that break our hearts. The pain, the dehumanization, the tragedies, the violence. We think of the beauty that arises in this world, the things that grow, the things that inspire, the loving connections. Let that lift to God. We think of our country of Canada and this part of the world, the things that are hurting, the people on the margins of our society that kept getting pushed further and further down, the gratitude we feel for certain protections. We think of our community here in South Surrey and White Rock, in this little area, we think of the, the pain behind closed doors, the loneliness of the elderly who don't have close connections with them anymore. We think of our church and the people that are drawn to us and those that walk away. We think of our own homes and the pains and hurts in our families and the love and comfort we receive in those same families. We think of ourselves and the hurt that we hold, the fears that we have, and the joy that we delight in. Thank you, God, for it all. You hold it all. Teach us to hold it as well. Amen. May you just stay standing for the benediction. Christ took on flesh for this weary world, and we are all God's beloved. As you leave this place, remember that you, like Jesus, are entering a weary world. So speak tenderly. Do the good that is yours to do. Lean into connection 
and savor the flavor of that fragile hope when it finds you. And when you notice its arrival, allow the joy to well up. May you, weary one, find yourself rejoicing within this weary world. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.